0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are just a couple days removed from WWE Hell in a Cell, but we have a ton to talk about on this WWE edition of the show because almost everything that happened on SmackDown did not have to do with Hell in a Cell, and of course, we already went through the Raw after the latest WWE Premium live event, so we have a full three-part main event for you along with the good, the bad, and the ugly as we break everything down on this show, but it would not be... In addition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, if I did not begin by reminding you that this show all about divide. So please stop making me ask. Stop being marks for
1: yourselves and go
0: back to being a mark for me. Go back to being a mark for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage, Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a written review. Let people know how much you love this show, why you listen, why you subscribe, and why they should as well. Those ratings and reviews are oh so important for us. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It was great interacting with all of you during Hell in a Cell, during Raw on a Monday night, even though my tweets were delayed because I was out at a friend's birthday dinner. Um, But nevertheless, always great talking to you guys, especially when big news is happening. And of course, interacting with you on our live Twitter Spaces shows as well. So please, please, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, we do have a lot of professional wrestling to talk about on today's show. But there's a bigger topic at hand that I need to address with my co-host. And that is oh boy. the color of lemon-lime Gatorade, which he refers to as yellow. I said, hey, it's more of a green. And we got into this little kind of back and forth. Uh, that transcended the show, you know, audio form onto Twitter. Many of you agreed with Chris. So, you know, I, I'm willing to accept when I'm wrong. The, the problem <laughs> with that, though, is I'm wrong so infrequently that when something pops up like this, I need to kind of do a little b- bit of research and see, well, am I wrong? Or, or are, is everyone else wrong and the Silver King is right? And this is a very murky type of situation. But let me uh, break down two things for you, Chris. First, something okay. that lends credence to your opinion, and then something that completely flies in the face of it. Okay, lending credence is that Gatorade uses yellow dye in lemon lime Gatorade. Straight yes. up, they put yellow dye in there.
1: Yellow However, five. Yellow yellow five is the official name. I've got the the bottle right here. I'm looking at the ingredients. That is that it's is yellow. the
0: dye. That is the dye that they use for the Gatorade. However, numerous and and I say numerous research studies have been done, because this apparently is an argument that many people have had over a significant period of time as to the color of lemon lime Gatorade. And I learned two things. The first is that over the years, it has gotten more yellow than it was previously, especially when I was growing up and I drank it. It was greener at that time. That's number one. But number two is that the color of Gatorade, lemon lime Gatorade, is chartreuse. Chartreuse is a green, yellow, yellow, green color that is in the green family of colors. So when you get as technical as you possibly can, lemon lime Gatorade is indeed green. Yeah, but I I don't know the color
1: family dynamics, but aren't there only three main colors? Red, blue, and there's, m-
0: you know, tons of different shades. There's the hex yeah. colors you, that you, you look you on the get,
1: you, get, you get green by mixing, like, what? Red and blue or blue something and yellow. like that? Yeah. So, <laughs> you <don't> yeah, blue <laughs> and yellow. But so red get, and blue, you so, get
0: purple. What are you talking <laughs> Yeah, right. I was mixed up. So, yeah, you mix yellow. Yeah, you get and green from yellow, though. From, So, yes. But when it's a cult... So, like, green is the primary color that chartreuse falls under. And this is... In that family, so Google like you can Google it while we're talking right now. Yeah, I did. Gatorade I did. Chartreuse, or you can get, or you can Google Chartreuse Color Family, and you will okay, see that yeah. the answer if you is
1: great. if you want to call it Chartreuse Gatorade from now on, feel free. No, I'm not going to. Every, I'm not going to, Everybody, because, who, everybody who's a normal person here, including the getting overheads, agree that this is yellow Gatorade.
0: I'm not gonna right going to call it Chartreuse Gatorade, and I'm not going to call it yellow Gatorade, and I'm not going to call it green Gatorade because where this conversation began is that my entire life I have referred to it as. Lemon, lime, Gatorade. So it doesn't even like that. That's that's where this came from at the very beginning. It doesn't matter. I'm not trying to pull the rock. It doesn't matter what color you call it, but it really doesn't for me because I've always called it lemon lime.
1: I'm I'm trying to think of are there any flavors that people describe by not the color like fruit punch? Everybody says red
0: Gatorade. There's blue. This is the only one that I would hold that, you know. Lemon
1: That doesn't even fall consistent in your own naming,
0: though. It's the only one you don't name. Because it's color. the original. It's the original Gatorade. It's lemon lime Gatorade. Everything else. Yeah. Red, blue, whatever, you know, purple Gatorade. But that's also here's another reason why I, I hold that Gatorade has so many freaking flavors that yes. if you want the blue Gatorade, you don't necessarily know what the that flavor is called. Like Arctic Blue or Arctic Blast or whatever the hell color yeah. they have. So for the vast majority of Gatorades, if you're like you're looking at a refrigerator and someone's like, which one do you want? You're like, I want the blue one. I want the red one. And maybe for you, you would say I want the yellow one. I would say and give most me lemon people. I would say give me lemon lime every single time.
1: I think but, we I think we I think we can
0: do a Twitter poll. I think orange, right I think orange and fruit punch orange are like the orange. original ones that like
1: people well, started calling orange.
0: by they started calling yeah. them by color because it was lemon lime, it was orange and it was fruit punch. And those were the three. So people would say lemon lime, red or orange. At least, again, that's how I grew up. Maybe no, it's you're, you you're, like, you're a
1: bit, you're a little bit older than me, so maybe that was the case that just that that was never uh, that was never an experience I had. And apparently, a lot of the listeners have, that's fine. I, I I appreciate those who came to my defense, you know, on the Twitter sphere to uh, defend the name of Yellow Gatorade. I'm going to stick with it.
0: The vast obviously. majority of people call it. I, I will agree. The vast majority of people. Referred to that color of Gatorade as yellow. I'm not denying that. I'm t- what I'm telling you is it's not. That that's that's the difference here. Well, What's no, it? it's literally not. Yeah, it says lemon lime on the bottle. It, it's Gosh. lemon
1: lime on the bottle. The color is Chartreuse, and it's in I, the green family. I'm saying yeah. I'm saying that nobody, nobody really calls it that except. For that's me.
0: fine, but so, they're wrong. is all I'm saying. That's all that, right. That,
1: that's well, it. all right, that's fine. I, I I'm a man of the people, and the people say yellow. So.
0: You want to know what yellow is? Uh, the Creed Brothers gear at in your house. That's yellow. That was yeah, very yellow. I That's did catch up on, on that,
1: by the way. I did catch up. That was an awesome match. Yeah. And uh, the degrees are awesome. And, and, I am looking forward. To you. and we may mention Pretty Deadly here later on the show.
0: We may. Yeah. In fact, I think we're probably going to. Now, real quick, also, before we get to the main event, just wanted to have a quick overview conversation about Raw on Monday night. So it was surprising to me, and I'm wondering if you feel the same way, that we did not get any build for the Money in the Bank matches on Raw, like even if. They didn't actively do qualifying matches or announce individuals being in Money in the Bank. They could have discussed what the plans would be for the men and women. Uh, Cody Rhodes was the only person on the show that I can tell to even mention wanting to be in one of those matches on the show. I just found it odd that they didn't immediately start some small build. Wrestlers going to Adam Pearce backstage, hey, we want to be in the match. Really promoting the fact that you have these two huge matches. They had briefcases hanging over the ring. And I'm pretty sure that Cody is the only one who looked at them. Like, I'm I'm almost positive about, about that. It so I, I was surprised at that. And I was more surprised that it wasn't referenced extensively for the men, given most of the women on the show who would compete in that match had a match in the main event. So obviously they would prefer to contend for the title directly than being the money in the bank. But I'm kind of wondering if you felt the same way. Yeah. I think the only other time they might've mentioned it was
1: when Montez Ford almost hit them on his frog splash. Uh, right. Uh, they commented that he almost hit the briefcase. Um y- y- You're right. Yeah. Th- there wasn't much talk about it at all. And yet it did seem like a pretty eventful episode of raw. We got a lot of things that happened. Uh, We got, starts of new feuds or planned or, or planned rematches for next week or there or the scene of thing, uh, you know, th- there was there was a lot that happened on this show. Not a lot of it directly toward money in the bank, which was surprising. There's a lot of times the day after the previous pay-per-view, they just announce the six of them and then they do. Then they all fight each other for the next four weeks <laughs> going into the pay-per-view. Right. So. I was surprised they didn't do it, but I also didn't feel like it was lacking just because it seemed like a lot of
0: things happened, which was a pleasant surprise. They could have even done, though, next week on Raw, because they promoted basically nothing for next week. Next week on Raw, qualifying begins for the Money in the Bank matches. Stay tuned to WWE social media for more information.
1: Yeah, it makes you wonder if they even have the plan yet i mean I, I mean cody's situation was maybe the most important part of that whole maybe it situation threw
0: him, yeah maybe so it's the plans up in the air yeah
1: they may have not yet decided who's gonna win and therefore who's in it
0: but and even if that's the case and, that. and like let's say cody was going to win and now they need to change plans they they still gonna there's still a ton of other people that need to be in that match so you have to imagine mm-hmm. there's some people who could have qualified. Or could have said, I want a chance to qualify. Again, just I'm I'm just talking about mentioning it. There's only three Mm -hmm. Raws now, but between this show, you know, between Raw and Monday night and Money in the Bank. Like it's a short build because they wanted to do Money in the Bank at the start of July and um, SummerSlam at the end of July. So it's a very, very short window to build for this show. And look, it's WWE, right? So they could do all of the qualifiers next week on Raw and SmackDown, and we'd have the entire thing built with two two weeks to go. And maybe that's exactly what happens. But again, to not promote that, to not give people a reason to say, hey, tune in next week when the qualification begins or have you know people the likes of AJ Styles or Finn Balor or Kevin Owens or whoever backstage, hey, Pierce, we want to be in this match. Hey, guys, okay, let me figure it out. I'll tell you next week. To not do that at all, it just seemed like a huge miss. It's a three-hour show. There was so mm-hmm. much they could have cut to go and actually promote the pay-per-view. Premium live event.
1: Yeah, no, no, I agree. You, I mean, usually they go show to show like that, especially for Money in the Bank. It's usually something they get into right away. So, yeah, it is kind of surprising that they didn't. Okay.
0: And then one last thing before we get to the main event. I thought Raw was a very strange show overall. I saw a lot of people praising it up and down. And maybe it's just because there's certain things that they did that I personally don't like. I thought the opening was really solid and the final hour was pretty great. But the 90 minutes in between those things, it was just like monotonous, short matches, repetitiveness. I I really struggled to enjoy the show for a large portion of it on Monday. Uh, I'm one
1: of those people who liked the show. And, and And it wasn't... Just because, like I said a minute ago, but like stuff happened. It felt fresh-ish. It wasn't the same people we've seen fight a million times. We got a little bit of it, but it wasn't the same thing running back over and over again. Uh, we 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 advanced onto new stories. We set some new things up. We got a couple of we got a big turn. Uh, so it just it it felt like a, a nice show where stuff mattered, and you don't always get that. So I appreciated
0: that. All righty. So with that, let's truly begin the show by sliding into the the main event. And let's start with the topic that dominated our Hell in a Cell instant analysis. And that was Cody Rhodes. Cody opened Raw using only one arm, gingerly walking to the ring. He got massive Cody and thank you, Cody chants. He said he appreciated all the praise, but it's him who gets the privilege of being able to go out and wrestle. He got choked up and said he wants his daughter to watch the match that he just had one day when she's of age to understand kind of what it takes to fight through adversity and pain and all that type of stuff. Cody called Seth Rollins one of the best ever, but said that book is closed. Then he said that the Money in the Bank briefcase, the contract, the whole thing has eluded him for his entire career, and he referenced going after it. Rollins' music hit. He stoically limped his way to the ring. He said he still doesn't like Cody, but he definitely earned his respect as the toughest and gutsiest guy he's ever fought. Rollins then said Dusty is very proud of his baby boy, which choked Cody up and led to Dusty chants from the crowd. They shook hands. Rollins whispered something in his ear, and then he walked off. Cody's promo here was perfect. Uh, Rollins coming out to seemingly legitimately pay respect was great, but kind of like that CM Punk promo on Rampage. The comments about Money in the Bank, for me, when Cody said them, they cast a really strange shadow over the segment, given he has surgery upcoming this Wednesday, and you cannot rehab in four weeks, period. I don't care who you are. You can't rehab in four weeks and wrestle. Just not going to happen. So I was ready to criticize the concept of Cody even suggesting that he would be in Money in the Bank. Until Rollins attacked him from behind with the sledgehammer. A half dozen officials just stood there as Rollins attacked. That was the only negative part. Uh, But Rollins uh, stomped on the torn pectoral. He jammed the sledgehammer into it, both ends of it. And then after commercial break, Cody refused to board a stretcher and he walked off to cheers. So this was one of those segments, Chris, that I thought was executed like 85% of the way to perfection. The elements were all appropriate. It could have been done with like a little bit more intensity, maybe. I said in the instant analysis on Sunday night that Rollins should have beaten Cody because then Cody could come back and dispatch Rollins in his first match post-surgery before moving on. Instead, they had Cody win, and they're likely going to do that booking anyway, which means Cody's eventually going to not just be 3-0, but 4-0 and against Seth. So it was the right move to open the show. Cody and Rollins both did really well here. But I was a little bit surprised that they went to this extent and kind of played this out the way they did.
1: Yeah. You know, when Seth comes out and, and does the handshake and everything and, and is really nice, I'm thinking, OK, they, they could turn Seth here if Cody's going to be out for a while. Exactly. Like, like, like Seth, Seth Roman is something you can do. You know, he he's a guy who's flipped between sides before they did Seth Roman at the Rumble. Like you you can do this. This is a good way to turn him, and then they, you know, and, and then, but then I'm thinking you're right. Is Cody in the match? How is he going to be the match if he's having surgery? And then the beatdown happens. Honestly, that really surprised me. I did not see that coming. So, so I they they, they it was for that. I agree. It was very well done, uh, and, and that that was um, that was good and everything. So I, I assume what we're going to hear is that Cody now can't be in the match because of what Seth did to him and that's a way to write him out as if that uh, attack
0: somehow was worse than him wrestling a 25 the, minute match <laughs> in the cell that's the what match. confused me it's like this guy got that peck torn to shreds you know quote unquote even further in the cell but then this Rollins doing basically the same stuff that he already did made it worse and now he's not going to be in yeah. the money in the bank you, uh, it's Very strange. You, I mean he you you could have had him say like fighting through
1: that match in kayfabe made it worse and he needs surgery and he won't be right. around or something like that. Um, right. The, the other thing is, I can't believe we didn't think of this. We don't do headlines, but we didn't think of this pun. Uh, but we didn't use the phrase impeccable uh, mm. about, about that Hell in a Cell match. We should have. That, that, was, that was a miss on our part. Apologies. Um, but I kept thinking about that yesterday.
0: Um, so it was also, yeah. you know, what it also was. It was spectacular as well. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's a good one, too. So, yeah, it seems like Cody's out and then he's going to come back and have to beat Seth. But is that going to be four and oh, is he going to lose to Seth first and then win? I, I I don't know. We we don't know anything with Cody. He does it. He He's I think it was Daniel Bryan who made the comment that Cody Rhodes taught him how to lie in wrestling a little bit. And so Cody's always kind of working you in sh- working and shooting a little bit. It's always hard to know. And I think that's intriguing as a as a viewer. So we'll see. Um, but there that, that was an the overall very good segment. Leave some questions. I assume they'll answer soon. Leave some questions. We won't get answered soon. So we'll right. see. The only other thing is this is not relevant, specific to this promo, but it just hit me when Cody says he wants to be the WWE undisputed universal champion. That is a, that is such a terrible name for this title. It, it's it's way too many words. It's It's a mouthful to come out. Um. I just thought about it because
0: a few people mentioned it on the show. Don't like the name. Well, what's interesting is everyone screws it up because it is the what it is, is the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. And I even messed it up. And well, right. But no, you said what he said. You said exactly what Cody said. So Mm. that actually like. It's not the worst because you would have an undisputed world heavyweight champion, undisputed WWE universal champion. I actually am not bothered by it for two reasons. One, it is what it is. It's the WWE championship and the universal championship. And they have not combined it. They have not made one championship title. They have not combined the reigns. Uh, Roman Reigns is still carrying two belts on his shoulders. So for all of those reasons, it... Keeps the hope alive in my head for both his championships and the Usos undisputed tag team championships that they're going to split those titles again. Otherwise, if they did merge it into one and change the name and just called it the WWE Universal Championship or whatever the hell, then I would kind of look at it and say, well, shit, you know, here we go again. They're going to have to start a new lineage uh, for something else, and they're going to have to end one of the lineages, of course, hoping it would be the universal one that they would end. So, yeah, it's a lose lose for me if they combine them. But keeping them separate, having the slightly convoluted longer name, I actually don't really have a problem with it.
1: Yeah, like I get the name, but I just I wish they they never shorthand these things, but I wish they would shorthand it into just undisputed champion. Just, you know, Absolutely. if you're talking about it, I want to be the undisputed WWE champion. And then if you split them, you can still count it as a lineage. It's undisputed when they're together. It's just, you know, split them apart. I don't know. Just a small thing. But no, it's fine.
0: To that. Before we move off of Cody, if you guys will indulge me and allow me to book the damn territory for a moment. OK, here's what I would do at this juncture if I was WWE. I would have Rollins win money in the bank and cash in on Reigns to win the titles, either after SummerSlam or after Clash at the Castle. That would then open Reigns up for The Rock in a non-title match at WrestleMania Hollywood. Then you have Cody Rhodes return. He obviously wins the Royal Rumble. And we get Rollins Rhodes 4 at WrestleMania for the WWE Championship. Boom, you have two main events. You are easily selling out night one. You're easily selling out night two with The Rock. Done and done. Everyone's happy. Your top three guys in the company right now are all in the main event. Reigns doesn't have the title. He has an excuse for losing the championships. And then as soon as he's done with The Rock, he can go back after the titles and maybe eventually even beat Cody Rhodes.
1: Yeah, you know, when you, when you said that, my first thought is, is Cody versus Seth a WrestleMania main event match? But then I realize it's two nights, and The Rock Roman can still be the main main event. So, I, th- I think and that it's works. The
0: WWE Championship, and it's a great feud. It really has it, been a great feud.
1: It, it, it's a very, it is a very good feud, and and a good story. And the match will be great. We know these guys are great. But I still just I want to see Cody versus Roman. Like, like 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 it just it Seth being the guy to take down Roman. After all this time, it's just like, ah, did Seth need it? You know, what about if Drew McIntyre wins at a clash of the castle and then Seth cashes in a month later or something like that? And then you can still set up the same thing. You put over. How would you feel? You put that? over McIntyre? You, you, you have McIntyre be the one to take it off of Reigns at Clash of the Castle. And you, then could have Seth McIntyre,
0: eventually- you, you could have McIntyre do that. Hold it to the rumble. Cody win the rumble. Rollins cash in on McIntyre after he defends the title at the rumble. And now, yeah. boom, you have a brand new WrestleMania main event.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just think, you know, with all the Roman buildup, who's going to be the guy to take it off him? Cody would have been a great person to do that. It may not happen now. Drew's got that. Drew's calling his shot months in advance for Clash of the Castle. You know, we'll,
0: it feels like they're trying to build that into being a moment. I so. just cannot. Dude, with Reigns having this title reign as long as he's had it, for McIntyre to take the titles off of him in England, or in the United Kingdom, Wales, Wales, yeah. In in the, I, I corrected in the United Kingdom. Um, at what time? Six o'clock PM Eastern, uh, seven o'clock PM Eastern on in the United States, uh, four o'clock on the West Coast. I, I don't see them doing that for some reason. Like maybe they will, maybe they're going to. But with with Reigns being built up the way he's been built up, I agree, I do agree with you that ideally he would not lose the championships with a Money in the Bank cash-in. That feels yeah. cheap. You really want to put someone over in the moment? I totally, totally understand that. But like we thought it was going to be Biggie, it's not. Um, we thought it would be McIntyre. Maybe it still will be. I still am kind of wishy-washy on them, them actually doing that at Clash at the Castle. God forbid they do it at Blood Money in the Sand. I I think I'd lose Whoa. my mind <laughs> if they did it at Blood yeah. Money in the Sand. Yeah. Um. But but I mean, you know, they do book those as real shows now, right? Not not the bullshit. So you yes. have to look at like where is going to where is Reigns gonna lose the title, or is he actually gonna hold this title all the way till Mania? And you know, we're assuming the rock thing happens. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe mm-hmm. it is as simple as Reigns holding the championship, Cody winning the Royal Rumble, and we get Reigns and Cody at WrestleMania, and that's it. No rock. I'd love that. Uh, that great. would be good. That would be very good. Mm-hmm. That'd be fine. But I think this option uh is better, in my opinion. The other thing that they could do if they want to factor Cody uh, factor Seth back into it if they are going to go reigns Cody at WrestleMania is you do the very standard like Seth is the number one entrant in the Royal Rumble Cody comes out at like somewhere between 28 and 30 everyone else is eliminated it's just them you have a 15 minute match Cody wins eliminates Rollins Rollins is pissed they fight again in the elimination chamber Cody gets his fourth win and then he goes on to WrestleMania so That is the secondary option. But I do think one of those two things will happen. Yeah. I I hope. Very very possible. Very possible. All right. Uh, Second part of this three-part main event, WWE announced on Raw that John Cena will be returning for the June 27th edition of the show in Laredo, Texas. And that was the extent of the promotion. Uh, He's celebrating 20 years after his debut this entire month. And it sounds like this is kind of a one-off maybe setting up a storyline for like SummerSlam, potentially. I think it would be really cool um, if he was coming in for a short run as like a star power substitute with Cody not being there. It is strange, though, to return Cena in Laredo, Texas, of all places. No offense to you living in Texas and no offense to anyone who lives in Laredo. But I do believe he's shooting something in New Mexico, which is probably why that location Mm. makes sense. But if you're bringing Cena back like, New Orleans, you know, like uh, Cincinnati, like a, a, a major city you would think is where he would come from. Uh, but I just felt it was like a lackluster announcement with a simple graphic. It didn't even pop me. And, and the announcement of John Cena returning should pop me.
1: Look, if you're gonna have John Cena return, you want it to be a surprise. I was at the Money in the Bank last year. That's the other. He showed up after the Edge Roman match, and that place went absolutely bananas for him. That's how you want to do it. I do understand the television side of hey, you want to promote it to you know pop a rating and get some big stuff and and do all that, and that's fine. I think the timing is (laughs) is also weird. Uh, This is the week. This is the go home, Rob, of Money in the Bank. It's not the week after Money in the Bank setting up right. SummerSlam. Right. So, my 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 first thought when I saw Cena was, "Oh, we're gonna do John Cena versus Austin Theory." Mm-hmm. Uh, Cena and we still met. We, we may get that. Yeah, yeah. Cena dropped Theory's name a few times on on uh, on a on a social media video. Theory, I think, replayed it on his social media. Um, so it. it Cena is really high on him it seems like a possibility of of, of that potentially being the one off but it is yeah a little weird for it to be the go home show not the maybe the one afterward maybe it's the timing i was unaware of that new mexico thing you just mentioned uh so could be it uh, as well but uh, yeah it, i it generally it was a letdown cuz like john cena was the greatest ever hey, he's going to be at this Raw. And they really did emphasize the Laredo, Texas part of it. Like they, they really to sell did. tickets or something yeah. like that. Hey, people in Laredo, we need you there. So, yeah, it was it was overall weird. And, uh, you know, anytime you get a you get a return and they don't do it a surprise, uh, I'm going to criticize it. You know, I, I criticize AEW for when they mess up surprise returns. And this is even worse. I mean, this is straight up announcing it. So, uh, yeah, this is uh Look, I'm, I'm excited
0: to see Cena, but the announcement itself was disappointing. I, I agree. I I think he is filming the Wiley e. Coyote movie, is what he's doing over there. Um, which by the way sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> I didn't. Even know I that think it's a thing. live action type of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure the circumstances of it. Again, Laredo, Texas. No offense. It's just a strange spot, and I fully agree with the second point that you made, which was, man, if they just Had him show up as a surprise, like the roof. I mean, the roof will still blow off. It's still going to be a huge reaction. But that surprise factor, the people tuning in to Raw, oh my God, you know, know, trending on social media. Oh my God, John Cena, everyone tuned to Raw now. What's going to happen? Now, because it's announced and because it's kind of only been announced as one location, not like a summer of Cena, which is what they did last year. I look at it and I'm like, oh, so just one day. Yeah. That's how it comes off to me, at least. Okay, the third part of this main event, it's kind of um, convoluted because there's a lot to talk about with Roman Reigns, The Usos, Riddle, Shinsuke Nakamura, Randy Orton. It's this overall huge storyline that is difficult to address without going going down each part individually. So let's start with what we got on SmackDown, Chris. The undisputed tag team championships on the line. Uh, The Usos defending against Riddle and Shinsuke Nakamura. This is after they earned a number one contendership opportunity, the prior Raw, via disqualification. We will mention that again later in the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'll get to that. Uh, Riddle backstage said he and Nakamura are still in the honeymoon phase, but Nakamura agreed they're working well together. Riddle then dedicated the match to Randy Orton. The Usos later uh, made an imitation of Riddle. Uh, like his voice and and his mannerisms, and then dedicated the match themselves to Roman Reigns. So the match started, I believe it was the main event. Nakamura did his sliding powerbomb early, then Riddle got dumped off the top rope onto his face. Shinsuke threw Jay into the steel steps, then dodged, uh, Jay dodged as Shinsuke hit Kinshasa into the steps. The Usos took out his knee with a kick at ringside. The referee then threw up the X and trainers took him backstage, making it a handicap match. The Usos dominated, but Riddle hit a final flash and went on a big underdog run with a springboard floating bro into the brothers outside. Riddle hit the power slam and draping DDT on Jimmy, but when Jay got involved, he ate a pop up Samoan drop. Riddle caught Jimmy on the top rope when Roman Reigns' music hit. He still hit Jimmy with an avalanche RKO, but Jay tagged in blind and caught him with the Uso splash for the title retention in 14 minutes. And it was immediately revealed that Sami Zayn hit the entrance music button in the production truck. He came out to celebrate, but Riddle lost his mind and attacked all three guys until referees separated them with Riddle screaming, this wasn't the end. First of all, this was a great match in a handicap Mm -hmm. situation. Riddle, we know he is over like Rover. The injury angle with Nakamura, I thought was extremely smart. It got really good heat on the Usos and it made Riddle look even more sympathetic And then it made him look even stronger because he almost beat them one on two. When this was first announced, I thought it was absurd for it not to be at Hell in a Cell. But with the injury angle and the booking, I think they 100% made the right decision to put it on SmackDown. The other thing I will say, I'll let you get in. I expected a Sammy interference because heaven forbid Roman Reigns shows up at SmackDown. But I didn't expect it in the production truck. Sammy was hysterical once again being shocked and surprised and happy that it actually worked. I loved it. And it was so cool to see a person actually making the music distraction happen instead of it just randomly happening and being totally unexplained. On a SmackDown that, spoiler alert, pissed me off more and more with every segment that passed. This entire thing, the booking top to bottom, the wrestling, the storytelling, I thought it ruled hard in a major way.
1: If you're gonna do a distraction finish like that, after you did one a couple weeks ago, make it in a handicap situation and exa- and show exactly how and why and put a twist on what that distraction was. It-, it was a unique way to do it, and I and I and I enjoyed it. And Sami Zayn's just unrelenting desire to get in with the Usos and the blood- bloodline has been a great story. Following up on what Kevin Owens told him on Raw. Uh, he really wants to be their friend and, and he's doing these things to try to make it happen. And so it worked. The match was great. Riddle looked good in the whole situation. I I still think you could have put this on the Hell in a Cell. Now, Hell in a Cell did end up being three hours. You know, we regraded it AA minus, you know, you added the Mad Cat Moss match in there. So so it ended up doing it with the way the finish happened. I think you could have put this on the show and maybe not made it the main event and it still would have been fine. But um, SmackDown just in general holds its biggest matches for TV. Just it's a, it's a complete opposite of what Raw does. So it's just kind of a different approach. This was uh this was, this was a good way to do it and furthers riddles uh, ascension kind of as a singles uh, wrestler now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it got him over in a significant manner as a singles wrestler, even though he's already over, People already know he's capable and good. I think he held the United States Championship.
1: Is that? I think real? he did. Uh, yeah, him and uh, Sheamus
0: fought at WrestleMania 37. Over. Okay, it. so so he's held its championship before. It's clearly capable, but this just accomplished. It hit every single like metric that you would want it. It got Riddle over. It got him sympathetic. It got heel heat on the Usos. Um, it was entertaining, you know, for TV. They they, mm-hmm. they had a distraction, so they gave him an excuse but they explained it like all of every area where I could look at it and say that was stupid. They figured out a way to make it not right. Like, like they, they filled in all the blanks and that is, you know, I'm not saying necessarily that Paul Heyman had his hands in that. Um, But when you look at SmackDown and see how most things are booked and you realize that this storyline is the one thing that's booked. Well, I like to give credit to Paul, even if maybe he doesn't deserve it. I'm sure he appreciates that uh, nonetheless. All right. So Chris, let's move to what happened on raw. And we do have, a lot to talk about uh, with all of these people from Raw. Uh, we'll start off with uh, Miz was in the ring in a tux with Maurice in a black dress. Good, but she's got saying, hey, now! For a special edition of Ms. TV promoting the premiere of their show, Ms. and Mrs. Uh, Riddle interrupted as the guest and spoke French to Maurice. Miz said, Riddle, would get his ass whooped each week now that Randy Orton was gone. Riddle said he's sick of the Usos and ready to take on the tribal piece of trash one-on-one because he wants the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. He said Miz is a homemaker to Cena's peacemaker and that Maurice drags him around by his tiny balls. That got a tiny balls chant from the crowd. Maurice said Miz had average balls, actually above average balls, actually gigantic, massive balls, the biggest in the world. Riddle demanded he prove it. The crowd was dying from this. Uh, and Maurice then challenged for a match that Miz obviously didn't want. Miz said no. And then Champa attacked Riddle from behind to Miz's surprise. They still haven't explained this, by the way, with Champa. But we'll get, I mean, there's, we don't even need to talk about it, but they just, they're not explaining it. I don't get what they're doing. Then Miz decided he wanted the match because Riddle was injured. So we got Riddle versus Miz. Riddle hit a draping DDT. Miz avoided the RKO. Riddle chased him, ripped off his tux pants by the back pockets, leaving Miz in boxer briefs and immediately generating a legitimate tiny balls chance naturally from the crowd. <laughs> Riddle avoided the loaded purse from Miz and hit an RKO to win in a couple of minutes. This Miz TV segment ruled and the Green Bay crowd deserves a lot of credit for reacting to everything they did. Uh, Miz was great. Maurice was great. Riddle was great. They also the crowd was fantastic during the Riddle Miz match, just adding life to something that clearly was going to be a relative squash. It was the perfect way to feature Riddle solo. It showcased his attraction to the fans, the comedy elements of his character and his in-ring ability. The only problem with it was, let's just say it was pretty tough to concentrate on Riddle and Miz at the opening of (laughs) that segment. We'll talk about the booking going forward in a minute, but I'm wondering if you enjoyed what we got Monday as much as I did.
1: Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And it it provided the dual purpose of furthering Riddle kind of as a single side. And and him kind of turning serious in the middle of that promo was really good to see, because that's always the, the, the thing you wonder about Riddle is can he just be goofy or can he be serious? And Miz tried to lean into the goofiness, but then Riddle... Brought it back to be serious. That that was a really good way to handle that. It also promoted Ms. versus Mrs. So, so that worked as well. And the the tiny balls thing was like it was dumb at first, and it was probably even dumb on paper. But the way Maurice uh said it and the way she acted it out was hilarious. That 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 saved the whole thing. By by she was like, big balls, gigantic balls, biggest in the world. And it was it's like. This is a family show, but no woman cares about the size of balls. That's not the size thing when people talk about size. (laughs) So it was just it was just nonsensical. It, but but it was funny that because the way Maurice just kind of said it, it, it,
0: it that, that well, no, it funny. she was she was doing it for Miz. It's her husband. No, right, right, right. But I yeah. mean, the
1: way she the way she, like like it wasn't just saying, oh, actually, no, he has big balls. It was like it was no big balls, biggest balls in the world. Like just the way she said it was, was really funny. And was you mentioned the, green, the you mentioned the Green Bay crowd. Pretty good crowd. And I got to say it, it's it was good to see that because I always associate the Green Bay crowd with the return of evolution. In 2014, mm. when they got almost no reaction from a crowd in Green Bay. And I've always been, you, you always mention Lafayette, Louisiana. Lafayette, when Louisiana up, can go to when hell. And you come up with a random town to. to I love to,
0: Baton Rouge. I love New Orleans. Lafayette, you, you can go to hell.
1: You just, you, you always say Lafayette. To me, it's always been the Green Bay crowd and that lack of reaction to the evolution return that always sticks with me. But the Green Bay crowd was great here. So shout out to Green Bay for that. This was something that, again, on paper, Probably wouldn't care all that much about it, (coughs) but the execution by everybody involved was superb and made it really funny and and a really good segment.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. Now, between SmackDown and Raw, Chris, I think the booking should probably be setting up Riddle and Roman Reigns at Money in the Bank. Uh, Riddle is the only one left right now. Both of his partners are gone. He's been calling Reigns a tribal piece of trash for at least two weeks, maybe three, but I think two. Uh, Orton's return and title match, they can totally hold that off for SummerSlam. It just makes a ton of sense. The other option is putting Riddle in position to win Money in the Bank, which would also be a lot of fun and would completely fit in the storyline. But I'm just of the opinion at this point that Reigns badly needs to wrestle and defend the championship at Money in the Bank. I mean, he needed to do it even when Cody was going to be on that show. But the fact that Cody is now off Money in the Bank means it's even more important that Reigns is on that show. If he does defend the title there, it will be three full months between winning the championship from Brock Lesnar, the second half of it, and his first title defense. This guy has not defended the title since he won it or since WrestleMania. That is absurd. Waiting until SummerSlam would be nearly 120 days, one third of the entire year, and would be even more ridiculous if they wait all the way till that especially with Cody out, like I said. They got to have Reigns at Money in the Bank. A riddle match, I think, would be a massive main event in terms of like fan excitement. It would also be very high quality from an in-ring standpoint. I really, truly hope that they're not moving away from that and keeping Reigns off the show. Reigns needs to be there this Friday, and this match needs to get booked for Money in the Bank.
1: Regarding Randy Orton, I've heard some things that he may be legit Partially injured? Do we do we know has there been anything on the dirt sheet about his status, or is he just straight up taking some time?
0: I haven't seen anything about that. I think it's completely okay. kayfabe, but okay, maybe not. Maybe like he tweaked something, and so it's kind of real, but they're exaggerating it. But I've seen nothing we, we about don't that. Know. Yeah, I've seen okay. nothing about I it. Just
1: real. wanted to double check because I wasn't I wasn't really sure, and I I try not to seek out these things. Um. So yeah, the, Orton reigns would indeed be the bigger match for Summerslam. Uh probably the biggest since they're already doing McIntyre at Clash of the Castle. Orton Reigns is the biggest match they can do right now. There's unless you bring Brock back, which
0: no. well, is always possible. It, it's that, always possible. Orton, how about this? I'm gonna tell you this right now. Orton Reigns is bigger than Reigns Brock. It just is. People want it more I, than I, I care.
1: I care. I don't know if the the mystical casuals care, because we know how we clearly know how they feel about Brock Roman based on everything that happened last year. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But I do agree that based on what we have, Randy. Roman is the biggest one you can do. Save that for summer, Sam. Put Riddle on for money in the bank. Yep. You need a you need a main event type of deal there. The undisputed tag team championships are not that anymore. So. Yeah, I think that's what you got to do. And they've been setting it up. It would be disappointing if they're if they're setting it up now only for it to happen,
0: you know, almost two months from now. I totally agree. And they could also do an angle where Reigns is like, you want a shot, go win the briefcase. And he wins the briefcase. And then they do riddle and Reigns at SummerSlam if Orton legitimately is injured. That's totally a possibility.
1: And you, you mean throw- Riddle you, you mean Riddle wins Money in the Bank and just says, hey, let's do this at SummerSlam? Well, yeah, Reigns
0: is like, hey, if you want to fight me for the championship, go win Money in the Bank. You don't deserve mm-hmm. a title shot. Riddle, he's, you know, and, and Riddle's like, okay, fine, I'll win Money in the Bank. He wins it. And then, yeah, he he's, you know, rather than do a surprise, he goes, hey, main event SummerSlam. Or, yeah. or they do the exact same thing that you get Reigns versus Orton at SummerSlam. um, And you know, Reigns wins and then Riddle cashes in the contract and beats him and wins the championship. That would be mm-hmm. fantastic. Orton softens him up, Riddle cashes in. Yeah. There's a lot of ways you can do it. Like, that, no, like and it's we're, interesting. We're putting out a lot of ideas. I'm not saying that these are necessarily the best ideas, but between the ideas for this, the stuff with Rollins and Cody, like WWE has actually, for a guy who really doesn't seem to have any challengers, there's a really solid handful of people. That would significantly pop fans if they won the championship or were in title matches or whatever. They do have enough challengers and enough interesting storylines to go all the way through WrestleMania.
1: yeah, there, there's, a, there's a lot that we just there, there's a lot of ways it could go, and that makes it, made it exciting. It's exciting. We don't know how it could turn out, so uh, that's the thing we're looking forward to going into money in the bank
0: as long as Roman Reigns returns to television yeah well television yes but at least money in the bank <laughs> but it, but i mean the guy's got to be on tv at this point like like what was it two weeks that he wasn't on either show look. he hasn't been on raw since that one appearance ahead of wrestlemania backlash so the guy hasn't been on raw in like five weeks he hasn't been on smackdown in two weeks i mean he's the champion
1: yeah it's absurd it, look we, we we've we talked that a million times It's it's well known on the getting over wrestling podcast that we would like our world champion to be in a position to actually defend the title on yeah. television, but we're built differently.
0: I mean, look, we're not going to we're not going to spend an hour on it like we did the other time. But if he isn't at Money in the Bank, yeah, I'll probably rant on it again. I, I promise yeah. you that. All right. One more thing before we get to the good, the bad and the ugly. We've got to wrap up the tag team picture. So we had the Usos against the Street Profits in a championship contenders match on Raw. Montez Ford got two two 2.99 counts right after the bell, which was really weird. The Usos looked extremely rattled. I thought it was strange booking. Uh, the match started really slow, and the crowd kept getting like more and more quiet as it started. Ford jumped off the steel steps for a cannonball on Jay before commercial, then the Usos threw one of the Profits into the steps before another commercial. The Profits hit Anointment and the Frog Splash, with Jimmy breaking the fall at the last split second. Jay threw Ford into the barricade, but Ford tipped him into the timekeeper's area and then beat a 10 count that was barely audible on the screen. I didn't even realize the referee was counting. For the countout victory, Riddle ran in to celebrate immediately with the profits after the bell. Something about this just did not work for me. Maybe it was the slow start. Maybe it was the two commercial breaks. Maybe it was the fact that it remains incredibly stupid, especially in an undisputed title situation, to have championship contender matches when your champions are going to have to lose those matches to create a number one contender. We had a DQ uh, previously for Riddle and Nakamura. That was messy with, you know, Jimmy Jimmy or Jay, whoever, using a scooter. It was just stupid. This one was a count out. It was just as stupid. It is so incredibly frustrating to have an entire tag team division across two shows, and now the titles are undisputed, So theoretically, you can have Raw and SmackDown people contending with each other for that number one spot to actually challenge for the titles. So you have your entire tag team roster. You brought Alpha Academy back to TV. You could have had Alpha Academy against Dirty Dogs and Street Profits in a triple threat with the winner getting a title match. There's a million different things that they could have done. Instead, they gave us a championship contenders match for really no good reason and had the undisputed champions lose, even though it was via countout, they did it just so we can get a match that we already saw for like 15 minutes a second time. It's exactly what they did with Riddle and Nakamura. It was frustrating then. It's frustrating now. It's the only part of this entire main event section with Riddle, the Usos, Roman Reigns, all these people. It's the only part that I legitimately did not like.
1: And it's not because of the people involved. It's because of everything around it. You you knew that, you first of all, because it's an Usos match, you were starting to wait for interference because we've gotten that the last couple of matches with them. It's becoming Mm -hmm. a thing now where is Sami Zayn going to come out? Is music going to hit? You're kind of just waiting to get to that point now because of what we've been conditioned for the last couple of weeks. The other part is you knew that you knew the Street Profits weren't going to straight up pin them because they're the undisputed tag team champs. And they. I don't even remember the last time the Usos just straight up clean lost a match. Uh, so you knew that wasn't going to happen. So you, you kind of just felt like you were going through the motions a bit to wait to get to the end. And then the end hits and you didn't even realize it's the end because I didn't, I didn't realize there was a 10 count going on. I can't remember the last time I saw a count out in a tag team match. I just, that, right. that was a new one for me. So yeah, the ending was flat because nobody was really paying attention because we we're all thinking something else was going to happen. And the 10 count <laughs> wasn't clear. So yeah, that was... Definitely a real letdown considering the, the the immense talent of the folks involved. Look, we got the Street Profits Usos for a, a, a tag team title match. That's going to be really fun. But the Usos are in a spot where we're kind of just waiting for shenanigans. And, and that's not that's not a good spot to be.
0: So I was scrolling and trying to find like an answer to your question. The last time the Usos lost a tag team match clean. Two on two tag team match, clean,
1: yeah. was
0: January twenty first against Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins on SmackDown. Mm, okay. Everything else they've lost has either been like a six man, or it's been via disqualification or count out or you know some some other mm-hmm. bullshit. Yeah. So there's your answer. I'm, I'm surprised I was able to find that so quickly, but uh, yeah. So anyway, okay, uh, that is the main event, and now it is time for us to move into the second segment of this show. That's going to lead, by the way, with a topic that easily could have been in the main event most weeks. But let's first start by sliding into the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we will kick off this segment with Raw's 10 p.m. countdown this week, which was for Judgment Day. Uh, as the group promised to welcome in a new member, their entrance, I thought, was perfected with Edge kind of leading out right in the front, coming out of the shadows. They even got an unnecessary augmented reality graphic. So now Judgment Day, we know, is for real. And it did look I decent. think they, I, I think they had that at Hell in a Cell. Oh, I missed. I that think then. they okay. did use it. Also, I actually thought the
1: the I thought I actually thought the camera work on the entrance missed a little bit. It was too high up. You got to lower that camera so you can see the wings on edge like they had been doing previously. Yes,
0: I agree with that. But the, him coming out of like the shadows where you're like, wait, yeah, how do we not see him already? And then just popping yeah. out into the light, so cool the way they do that yes. production wise. Yep, was, it, it was yep. really awesome. Yeah. Um, they did a bunch of nothing in the ring, or they said a bunch of nothing in the ring. With Damian Priest putting Ripley over as the next Raw Women's Champion, Edge had a great line about being the adult in the room and an expert on the mic, basically talking about avoiding the what chance that the crowd was doing. Then he praised Ripley and Priest for their success, noting that they listened to his message and said others were listening as well. Edge then introduced the newest member and Finn Balor's music hit. Balor shook Edge's hand to really loud boos. I could not tell if they were real or piped in, but I think they were real. Uh, Edge said Balor reached out to them. He reached out to Ripley and Priest. And he was ecstatic to hear that Balor had changed his mind because he's one of the best ever to do it. Balor said he had a moment of clarity inside Hell in a Cell and wasn't going to fight against what he obviously needed to do, which was basically take control of his career, is is what he was trying to say. Um, Balor said he wasn't mad about losing the match. He was actually impressed at how they all fought for each other and have improved alongside each other. Priest said Edge has done such a good job helping them uh, all realize what they needed to do in order to shed their limitations and become the best versions of themselves, that they only had one thing left to shed, and it was Edge. Priest attacked him, hit a huge south of heaven, Ballard drilled him with the coup de grace, Edge tried to fight back, but got pummeled and pushed outside, where Priest put him through the announce table with a razor's edge, Ripley removed the bar from a steel chair and Balor tortured him with it in a crossface. Ripley then held off WWE officials with a chair as Priest took Edge out with a concerto to end the segment. Chris, this is my shit right here. Okay. (laughs) This is why I love professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. Balor coming out was a little bit of a swerve. A lot of people expected it was a possibility, but in the moment, it was a little surprising. Then we thought, well, maybe Balor's like full of shit. Maybe mm-hmm. he's trying to infiltrate them in another swerve. And Styles and Morgan are going to come out. And they're all going to brawl again.
1: Because, because why would you reveal the new member just like this? By just saying, here he is. And there he is. Why? Exa- it, there's no... Surely Balor's going to turn on them. This is all a setup. It's too obvious, right? Exactly. Way, way, way
0: too obvious. And then they go ahead and actually swerve us by taking the leader out of Judgment Day in a double turn. The storyline was nails because they mentioned three different times how Balor conversed with Priest and Ripley as a trio, with Edge being surprised to learn that Balor wanted to join the group. This was just excellent. And putting Balor in a spot where he's the de facto leader of a heel group is something we've all wanted his entire career. This is the first time, Chris, that he's a heel on the main roster since Mm -hmm. he got signed by WWE. And it might even set up Edge versus Balor at SummerSlam, which, by the way, is a dream match. I can't praise this enough. I do wish the crowd was louder. Like I said, I'm not sure if WWE sweetened the reaction or not. But this hit on every single note. It was obviously good. And I honestly thought it was brilliant stuff.
1: Absolutely. First off, going back to the, the the start of the the promo, Edge and Damian Priest talking, they did a great job of stopping the what chance. Any time I, I still can't believe crowds do this stuff. Look, I just praised the, the Green Bay crowd, and now we're kind of back to shitting on them. But they're 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 doing the what chance. Rhea couldn't quite get out of it, but Edge and Damien Priest knew how to change up their cadences to kind of stop it. And Edge mm-hmm. acknowledged it directly. That kind of stopped it too. And so Finn comes out. I'm like, all right, so he's he's gonna turn on them or, or or what? He starts talking like a heel, and I'm thinking, he's talking like a normal person. I can't and I'm like, oh my god, where has this Finn been along? I mean, mm-hmm. we have the drop. Stop being marks for yourselves. Go back to being a mark for me. If I if I remember correctly, that's heel. That's heel Finn in NXT, right? Absolutely. That and I'm like, this is the Finn I've been waiting for forever. This is Finn. This is Bullet Club. Finn Balor created the freaking Bullet Club, and yet they've never made him a heel on the main roster,
0: before. let alone a faction leader or group leader. Yeah,
1: and 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 uh, uh, my wife had actually just gotten home from a, a weekend trip, and she heard Finn Balor talking, and she was like, "Who is that?" I explained it was Finn Balor and she knows who he is. She's like, oh, that's interesting because she she hadn't heard him like that before either. And so I'm like, OK, this is actually kind of interesting. I actually do want Finn to be in this group now and not turn on them. I'll be disappointed if he turns on them. Then he starts talking about Rhea and Priest. And I'm thinking they're really planting some seeds here to turn on edge at some point. Possibly that could be really interesting. And then, boom, they do it right there, right <laughs> in front of us. And I was like, oh, my God, we're doing we're doing this. It was a great beat down. They look good together. Look, are there other ways you could have done it? Could you have could you have had Finn turn on AJ at some point and then explain himself the next week and then do that? Yeah, you you could have done it. But this was such a different way to do it. It it felt fresh. To, to do it all in one fell swoop to just get into uh this new group. I'm excited about this group. I I kind of like just having it now instead of having to wait for it. You know, Edge Edge started the group. You know, he he done a pretty good job of it. But also like the whole point of this was to elevate these other people who maybe need some of it Correct. and there and boom, they did it like it's done like there's no need to drag it out anymore and make any more of it about edge leading these people. Let them do it on their own now. And you've got Finn Balor again, the guy who led the freaking Bullet Club to do that. So this was awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. This is the kind of thing, like you said, that you absolutely love out of pro wrestling, the things you don't see coming, the things you're excited to see in the future.
0: Unbelievably well done. And as much as we thought Judgment Day was improving, I think it's pretty fair to say that it it wasn't hitting the way it could have. Like, you know, I thought when it first came together and those two were announced, I was like, "Man, this is this is top tier talent in a group. Mm-hmm. Like, this could be something huge for WWE." And not that Balor replacing Edge is a huge upgrade in terms of talent, because Edge is incredible and Balor is incredible, so it's pretty much a, an equal, you know, change. <clears throat> Excuse me, but but it felt like it needed refreshing. It just it felt like it wasn't maybe hitting every single note. And my hope is with Balor taking it over, maybe it gets refined a little bit, changed a little bit. Balor's a completely different voice than Edges. And the whole thing just works for me. Uh I, I have one correction. I said Edge Balor at SummerSlam. Well, there's a couple things I'm remembering. Number one, that's only two months away. Um, also, I'm forgetting that Clash at the Castle is the month after that. And Bauer mm. is obviously uh, from, I forget if it's Ireland or Northern Ireland. I always I get confused. Ireland. Yeah. Uh, there's so many people from Northern Ireland. I think it's Ireland. Um, That's yes, regular, he's gonna regular to, Ireland. He's going to need to have a, yeah, uh, Winslow, Ireland, right? That's what it is. Uh, Great no, County, uh, Winslow, Ireland. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he needs to have a big match at that show as well. So they'll mm. either probably do match one at SummerSlam with match two at Clash in the Castle, or they can just save it for Clash at the Castle. But Balor Edge is awesome. What's funny, though, the, the one funny thought in my head coming out of this is, what do I talk about on this podcast all the time? I love factions and stables. Mm-hmm. I want groups with five, six, seven people in them. And we had four for 30 seconds, and they yeah. immediately made it three again. It's like, God forbid they give me a faction, a real faction. And we had it in the Hurt Business and it was pretty good for, a, you know, a pretty decent period of time. They got rid of that. I thought Judgment Day would be the next one. And here we are again at three people. I do hope they expand. I hope they add four, five, six, you know, to their numbers in totality. Uh, it would mm-hmm. be great. But I did laugh that, you know, it was a faction for 60 seconds. Maybe.
1: And, and, and look, we we had said, you know, it didn't it never quite made sense for Edge to be this character like he had been getting fans were cheering him. He had gotten title matches like there were things he could be upset about. But him turning on the fans and insulting local sports teams, it just felt a little off. Finn Balor, Damian Priest, Rhea Ripley. They are people who in k can say, hey, we deserve more. We deserve this shot. You know, we're going to take over this company. Those types of things. So now you can move forward with that. I like that. I think it was Edge said Rhea's going to go win the Raw Women's Championship. You know, that they're stating their goals. They want to, you know, start to take to take over things. So uh, big fan of just kind of how that whole thing set up, not only how it happened, but also how they set up
0: what happened later in the show and, and what they want to do moving forward. For sure. OK, uh, let's move on to. What else happened with Rhea Ripley? We had a fatal four-way women's match for the number one contendership to the Raw Women's Championship. Alexa Bliss, Liv Morgan, Rhea Ripley, and Dewdrop. This was the main event of Raw. Bianca Belair sat ringside. Ripley dominated early until Morgan dropkicked her as Bliss hit a DDT. Morgan then did a running drop kick off the apron into Bliss, who was in Ripley's arms. Dewdrop then caught her with a running sent on outside. Uh, That looked pretty devastating. There was a great sequence with Morgan hitting a huracarana on Ripley, Bliss taking Ripley out with a code red, and Dewdrop splashing Bliss for a near fall. Dewdrop hit a sit-down powerbomb on Liv for a broken fall. She climbed the ropes with Ripley stopping her before Bliss and Liv combined for a super duperplex. Bliss and Liv then did like the rolling inside cradle, counters a dozen times rolling around the ring before Bliss hit a DDT, but she took her sweet time getting to the top rope. Morgan got her knees up for twisted Bliss. Dewdrop... Uh, Threw Bliss out of the ring. Liv then hit a springboard codebreaker, but Nikki Ash grabbed her legs to prevent Oblivion from being hit. Bliss and Nikki took each other down at ringside. Dewdrop then caught Liv flying for a Mishinoku Driver with Ripley breaking the fall. Ripley finally hit Riptide on Dewdrop for a clean one-two-three and a very impressive finish. Uh, Match ended in fifteen minutes. Balor and Priest immediately stood by her side after the bell as Raw went off the air, emphasizing the new judgment day. And I always love when they do something like that. This was a great main event. I actually think it was the best WWE TV match of the entire week, which isn't saying much because really most of the matches this past week were dreadful. I went 3.5 stars and a B uh, as for the booking. I was surprised. I figured they would save Bel-Air Ripley for SummerSlam or Royal Rumble clash at the castle. Um, I know she's Australian, but you know, there's a lot of, uh, Australian people in the United Kingdom and a lot of WWE talent from Australia starts working at NXT UK. So I thought Mm -hmm. like that could be something, or even WrestleMania, Bel Air Ripley, I thought would be the match. I guess also this is just their first meeting though, this go around. And Money in the Bank is a big show, even though it got moved. I just figured Bliss or Dewdrop would be a better challenger here because neither of them need to be in the Money in the Bank match, but at least it wasn't live. I've said many times she needs to be the one to win money in the bank. And mm-hmm. maybe she should even be the favorite going into that match. But this was very entertaining. And Air Ripley is a huge women's championship booking. I love that. This is a easy good.
1: I made the comment on our Hell and Cell reaction show that you know, when everybody's there, you can make the case that WWE's women's division is better than its men's division. And and this main event was an example of it. You could just throw four really talented women out there and they put on a banger of a match. And, and it's what it was. And, you know, you can say things like, you know, Rhea Bianca SummerSlam. Do you want to save it? Do these kinds of things? I loved. I wanted Rhea to win this match as it was going on, because I said, I think they've really got momentum here with the, ju- with the judgment day, what they just did. Like they just said she wants to go for the title. So just do it. Just go for it. Like really hammer this home. Don't, you know, don't have her lose. And then she's got to make her way back to do it. Just go with it. Just go with the judgment day right now. And that's what rear. That's a good point. Says yeah. to me right there. So I, I, you know, Rhea Bianca can be, you know, a Trish leader rivalry, you know, they're going to be doing this for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the future between the two of them. So I, I think that's, I, I think that's, perfectly fine and so yeah this was a a great setup a great match a a great finish the finish i wanted and now i'm really intrigued by this match you know if it was bianca bliss or something like that i think we all know who would have won i'm legitimately curious if rhea wins this match and i like I, i i we really love all the people in the in the new judgment day want them to start taking over stuff, want them to start running the ship. That's what I said the Judgment Day needed to be. They needed to be just kind of running raw, running over people. Absolutely and stuff like that. And that and that's exactly what they did here. So I, I thought this was great.
0: That's a fantastic point, even though to me it's not a faction because it's not four people or more. They booked them in that final hour of raw like it was a faction. They had the big moment. That was the biggest moment really of the entire show. And then they ended the entire uh, show with Judgment Day in the ring. Lording over previously in the show, there was a guarantee that uh you know Rhea Ripley would be the next raw women's champion. So every individual part of this really came together. And you you make a really good point that if you're gonna have that type of big moment, you need to go with them. So yeah, I, I didn't think that Ripley winning was the wrong booking. It just surprised me. I, I really thought it would be bliss or dewdrop. But based on the way you kind of broke it down, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to do this. And you are right, I did also mention it earlier. These two, Belair and Ripley, they are legitimately going to fight forever. Um, They're them, along with Raquel Gonzalez. They are that next version of women's talent that has come in. You know, you had the four horsewomen. Certainly you had others individually, Alexa Bliss and Asuka that have come in as well. But this is the next kind of, you know, group of top tier women's talent in WWE that is truly going to make a name for themselves main event WrestleManias, main event pay-per-views, and carry the water for the entire division. So they are going to fight a lot. Uh, hopefully, they add to that. And instead of three, it becomes four, five, or six over the, the coming months or year, two years. But as of right now, that trio is clear, clearly being pushed hard. Bianca Belair, of course, harder than all of them. And it's working because all of them to this point are already over. And that's fantastic. Now, Chris, while I really enjoyed what we got from that number one contendership on Raw... We had the exact same booking Friday on SmackDown, and I wanted to cover it second here on The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly because I wanted to provide a stark contrast between the way Raw was booked and the way SmackDown was booked, which was Raquel Rodriguez, Natalia, Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, Aliyah, and Zia Lee instead of a fatal four-way like Raw in a six-pack challenge. Ronda Rousey sat ringside for what was the mid-show main event, and the concept was that the six-pack challenge was her idea. It turns out Shotzi locked Aaliyah in the locker room uh, as she demanded for the referee to ring the bell. Aaliyah ran in and attacked her. There were a ton of quick early near falls, which immediately told me, as soon as that happens, you know it's going to be an unnecessarily short match. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shotzi took Baszler out with a DDT. Zaya took Shotzi out with a kick. Natalia took Zaya out with a lariat. Rodriguez hit Natty with a big boot, then suplexed Shotzi over the ring apron onto her before hitting a spinning Vader bomb. Shotzi ate a Tahana bomb, but Shayna put Rodriguez in the Karafuta clutch as Natalia covered for the win in four minutes. Now, I tweeted before the match that they would obviously have Natalia win, even though it should be Shotzi or Zaya, and that's exactly what happened. And when I said it should be Shotzi or Zaya, I kind of wasn't thinking about Money in the Bank. So as long as Shotzi is in the Money in the Bank match, then I don't particularly care that she didn't win this. But the fact that they did a six-pack challenge, mid-show main event, number one contendership, and had it go four minutes, was straight up pathetic. Again, contrast it with Raw. The Raw match went 11 minutes longer and was 11 times more entertaining with all four women getting over. No one on SmackDown in this match got over. Everything about this was completely predictable and disappointing. The only positive was they did not have Baszler win because Rousey against Baszler is going to be a huge match whenever that eventually happens. How the hell could a match with six women going for a title shot not last at least eight, nine, ten minutes? Again, this is a microcosm of the creative differences between Raw and SmackDown. Everyone got over in 15 minutes on Raw. No one got over in four minutes on SmackDown. This was so, so ugly. I hate this. I hate this crap. Stop. Stop with the crap.
1: <laughs> so last week, I think it was <coughs> when Shotzi went person by person in the locker room to explain why they're all why they all deserve to be in the title mix. I was like, oh, that's a that's a good step forward. Where we're not treating the women like a joke, where we're trying to build them all up here, build up, rebuild up the SmackDown women's division here. This is a good step forward. And then we get this. And then we get a then we get a four-minute match where no, you shouldn't really need you don't you don't really need to take pay attention to any of them. Aaliyah getting stuck in the locker room, despite there being cameras on both sides of the door, something that Pat McAfee even mentioned. Uh, I, I I don't know if it was clear if it was if it was a key needed or what, but it, it it was a weird situation. Natty's gear did it look like Owen Hart to you? Did it remind you of Owen Hart? the the caution tape level of uh era I did Owen Hart. I didn't notice at all. I'll look at that was my that was you, my uh, first. Uh, yeah, I just it was like a lot of actual. You would describe it as actual yellow, but uh, <laughs> a bunch of stripes. It 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 just made me think of Owen Hart. I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but it it jumped out. You know, this was four minutes. I did enjoy it for what it was. I, I didn't watch Smackdown live. You had tweeted about it being four minutes and being really down on it. So I had I think, low expectations going in before watching it. It wasn't entertaining for minutes, but yeah, it you would have liked to, you know, a number one contender match. Give these women some respect. Give them some time. Smackdown is just time and time again, just not helping anybody with their booking. So I, I'm going to give it, a bad instead of an ugly, because I at least liked what they did in that short period of time. But yeah, this is a real, a real shame after, you know, thoughts that they were gonna build it up into something. And so the idea that there's gonna be some women's tag team tournament, you know, to 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 replace the champions from Sasha and Naomi, I think the booking
0: on SmackDown here tells you maybe not so much. Especially when you put Natalia in the the title match and then you and one of the teams that you kind of still have is Natalia and Baszler. Maybe I'm not saying that they can't just do it after money in the bank. But, you know, they said that uh, there's going to be a women's tag team championship tournament or whatever coming soon. Hasn't really started yet. Um, So it's a little strange. Now, I did look at Natalia's gear. Uh, I was I was stalling a little bit so I could go through the slideshow to get there. I see what you're getting at with the Owen Hart throwback. I don't think that was the purpose of it. If it had said caution on it. And by the way, that gear was classic. What Owen. Had. Yes. Um, yeah. if it had done that, then I, th- I would have said, oh my God, that's really cool that she did it. But this was actually a very pale yellow. Um, and it's just kind of, I just think it's a style of the gear. I don't think it's, yeah, really it bad. might be. It just, I I thought of that, you know, coming off the Owen cup, I, I don't know, just, it came to mind. It was
1: interesting. I was curious what you thought.
0: For sure. All right. Let's keep going with SmackDown, a uh, new day, open SmackDown, thanking Drew McIntyre for helping them overcome the brawling brutes. Drew entered and gave a shout out to Big E, which got a huge Big E chant from the crowd. That was nice. McIntyre then said he would win the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship, and I'm using the way he said it, I told you, everyone screws it up, at Clash at the Castle, which is like three months away at this point. They made a couple Big D sex jokes, then he got a Big D kilt as a birthday gift, and yes, the brutes came out. Sheamus said being surprised by McIntyre last week was unfair, they wanted another shot, Butch couldn't control himself and ran down to attack only to get tossed outside by the faces. And then we got the main event from last week, rematch, as the opener of SmackDown. Drew Day against the Brutes. Kofi Kingston got a good hot tag. McIntyre took Butch down outside. New Day hit tope on heroes, and Xavier Woods grabbed Pat McAfee's headset to celebrate. McIntyre's hot tag came later. He cleared house. Sheamus botched what was supposed to be like a toss belly to belly. Butch then ate one with Woods hitting a rack attack style move for a near fall. Kofi and Holland botched something outside. I'm not sure what it was. McIntyre ate a running knee and a bro kick from Sheamus. Woods got distracted by Sheamus and Butch hit bitter end for the win. This opening segment was going really, really well. Like great, actually, until the Brutes came out. This was the 12th time in 13 weeks that at least one New Day member fought at least one Brutes member. And Xavier Woods, after SmackDown, tweeted something about 14 weeks in a row, them dealing with each other. I think because it started with that like ATV type of deal or or whatever. Uh, so maybe my numbers are off. I think his were off, but whatever. It's been 13, 14 weeks. It's just mind numbing, repetitive booking at this point. Completely maddening. We had a perfectly good endpoint last week. It was done. And then they rematched it to do 50-50 booking and extend this shit at least one more week because it's going to happen next week. But now it feels like it's going to be three more months all the way to Clash at the Castle. I mean, what the fuck are we doing here? Why can these guys not move on and do something different? It's been three months. Biggie is not coming back anytime soon. Despite my anger, the segment gets a good because there was nothing wrong with what was delivered on television. The promos were good. Drew was funny. The match was high quality. Butch got another win. It was a clean finish. All of that's really good. So I'm going to give it a good to my surprise. But there's absolutely no defending the booking and creative here. This shit is like missionary position. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. Oh. And the would chief, the head of the table... We're not interested in that. No, no. I'm not interested. I'm done. I want it over.
1: I am done with this. I'm not even gonna talk about it. I I I I'm 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 making a stand here. <laughs> okay. I'm refusing to talk about New Day versus the Brutes on this podcast. I'm just I'm not gonna say anything about it. I'm do- I'm not gonna grade it. I'm done with it. I can't do this anymore. There's nothing to say. I, I, I'm i not grading it. I'm, it's nothing. When I saw it on my screen, I was like, all right, I'm just, I'm blacking out here. I just, I'm I'm refusing to acknowledge that this is happening. Let me give I you will, a
0: different, oh, sorry, I was going to say, I'll yeah. give you a different topic if you want to talk about something else. No,
1: what I will want, what I do want to mention was the Clash of the Castle announcement. That's what I was going to
0: bring up. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yes, that is relevant to a lot of things. Um, He I, he had kind of already announced it, you know, when he made the trip over there. He tweeted kind of. like, "I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to, competing for the universal championship here or whatever like that. So it, it seemed to be heading this way. I, 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 I get it. I don't mind it. I just wish they would have put a little more into it. Maybe like Vince makes the announcement or something like that. Or just, just something to, to kind of like set it up a little bit differently. But the idea that Drew gets a title shot at Clash of the Castle because they're in the United Kingdom I'm actually kind of, I don't mind it. I just think they, they could have made it feel like a little bigger of a deal as opposed to preempting another New Day
0: versus Brutes segment. Well, here's my problem with it. It's 92 days away. Yeah. Three months. The shit is selling. Like, the, you know, I don't understand why you would do this. It, it, it'd be one thing if he said, I, when that show happens, I can't wait to go back to the United Kingdom. I want to fight for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. He said he is. Not only does that basically mean that we he's going to have that match in 92 days or 92 days from Friday, but he's deciding actively not to do anything important until then. He's not going to try for money in the bank. He's not going to try to get a title shot sooner. It's indicating to your audience as well that Roman Reigns, and look, man, We know Reigns is probably holding the title through the summer. I gave a couple options earlier about how they could take it off of him towards the end, but more likely than not, Reigns is gonna have the championship at this show, Clash at the Castle. It's telling your audience that nothing you do with Reigns between now and then matters because it's clearly going to be Reigns and McIntyre at that show. I know they wanna sell the show. He could have guaranteed he would be in the main event, or that he planned on challenging for the title rather than saying that he just decided he would and it's going to happen. It's insane to me that they had him go out and cut a promo like that. So the for
1: one thing that came to mind about like such an announcement like this was The Rock announcing on Raw 1000, I think, that he was going to be fighting for the WWE uh, Championship at the Royal Rumble. The following year, it was in the summer. They announced it for, for the rumble. That was six, maybe six, maybe months in advance. But that was the rock who, you know, can get that spot. And, you knew he wasn't going to be there every week. Drew mm. McIntyre is going to be here every week. I, I, I'm i wondering, you know, the last reports we'd seen, they had sold 40,000 tickets to the show early on. Uh, I, I don't know if they felt like they needed to do this to up the ticket sales. I mean, especially in light of moving the the Las Vegas Money in the Bank show, uh, that could be a a, a factor in there.
0: Let me quickly interject just because I I don't want to forget to talk about it. So WWE had more pre-sale requests for tickets than like could have filled the stadium twice. I think it was like 90,000, some crazy number. But what they did was when by the time they went on sale, the tickets were so overpriced and apparently also in the United Kingdom, like they have a... I don't know if they use Ticketmaster or they use something that's even worse, that charges even greater fees, like a percentage of the ticket, Mm. something like that. So the expense for people going to the show was so massive that everyone expected they would sell out right away because of the pre-sale request, but they didn't. So the expectation is that they're going to sell out the show, but they basically just need to drop the ticket prices, which they will do as it gets closer. But to your Mm. point, yes, they did not sell out the show initially on the on sale, which initially they thought they would. Okay, that that's good to know. So that 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 could be a factor in it as well. I to
1: your point that Drew McIntyre doesn't need to compete in anything else. I you know, I'm I'm generally I, I'm okay with that. Like you don't need him in Money in the Bank. I frankly the idea that someone has a guaranteed shot coming up later, I, I like that general idea. He doesn't need to be in the Money in the Bank. What he does need to do though is to find something else to do in the meantime. That's not hang around with the New Day. Like You're you're going to have to build this guy up before that clash of the castle match. Give him a big win over somebody at SummerSlam. Give him a big win over somebody at Money in the Bank. So he's really on a roll going into this Roman Reigns match. That's why I think my biggest concern
0: is, uh, to your point. I mean, what I'm thinking is that this feud goes another month and it winds up with Sheamus McIntyre at SummerSlam. Like, that's where I think they're probably going with this. They're going to maybe do a stipulation with these six guys at Money in the Bank in four weeks and then continue it another four weeks and have McIntyre-Sheamus. But again, that's two more months of the same six people (laughs) fighting in different combinations. And I know Drew technically just got added, so you could argue that it's been refreshed a little bit. No, And that Butch got added and that got refreshed at that time. But No. no, it's the same thing. It is missionary position. It's boring. I know that it gets pops on TV. And maybe because of that, WWE just shrugs and says, you know what? They love the New Day. They love Drew and Sheamus and the Brawling Brutes are great foils for them. And you know what? They are pretty decent foils for them. Because there's actually a real life thing that happened that made it legitimate. But we're done. It's been 14 weeks. I cannot stomach eight more. Can you imagine this going 21 weeks, nearly half a year? What if they literally run this until Biggie comes back? Oh, I it's it's unknown when Biggie's coming back, so that means I know 2024 this could go until like <laughs> it's just absolute. And by the way, now there's undisputed champions, right? So, shouldn't yep. you have Holland and Butch become a team? You have New Day as a team, it's the Usos, you know, if they hold those titles all the way if you for, forget about SummerSlam, WrestleMania, New Day, Usos, undisputed championships, like. Uh, dude, I just, I'm floored. Yep. A lot of fun things you could do
1: that they're just not doing.
0: Okay, let's let's stay on this uh, negative path here because I got to talk about what happened on Raw. Uh, we had Becky Lynch against Dana Brooke in a singles match. No problem there. Mm. Uh, but as soon as the bell rang, the 24-7 folks ran down immediately right after the bell. Brooke rolled up Akira Tozawa to win the title. Lynch grabbed the mic and said, no one wins titles in her matches except her and demanded their match restart for a championship match for the 24-7 title before threatening everyone at ringside. So this actually became a 24-7 title match with Becky Lynch. And in that moment so far, I want to make it clear, I was okay with it. Okay? Me too. I I was actually really interested. Very interested. I thought she might win this
1: title. This could be pretty cool. Yeah. I was like, there's so many things you could do with this. So many
0: things. Yeah, Yeah.
1: I'm like actually excited.
0: Okay. Then... She hits a Beck exploder when Asuka enters. Becky hits another one, nearly gets rolled up via distraction. Dana misses a high-risk move and counters the manhandle slam into a pinning combination with Asuka holding Becky's leg, I believe, under the ropes, which, by the way, should have been a kickout, right, if the referee saw it, for the upset win in two minutes and 45 seconds. Now, I don't care about the interference excuse. This was absolutely atrocious creative. It was terrible booking in every possible way. If you are going to do this, it has to have one of two outcomes. Either Becky wins the 24-7 title and becomes a delusional champion character thinking she's far above everyone else in the division and company. She tries to elevate the 24-7 title into something because she's deluded uh, and she continues feuding with Asuka, not necessarily over the title, but she says, I'm a better champion, like basically doing what Carmelo Hayes is on NXT. I'm the A champion. I'm the main women's champion, not Bianca Belair. And she does that character where she's completely deluded and full of herself. Or she's so upset that she goes ballistic after losing, tears apart the ringside area, the women's locker room, throws a fit, walks out, you know, with her with her luggage. They had the, you know, cries into the camera, all that type of stuff. Instead, they had the top woman in the company lose in a three-minute segment that wasn't even entertaining, and she did nothing about it. She changed her Twitter to a black avatar and a black background, and she removed her bio. That's what she's done. The lone positive is that Becky Asuka seems to be continuing in a non-title feud, which we talked about on the Helen Helena Cell analysis, I badly wanted to happen. But other than that, this was straight up ugly. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski.
1: Yeah, again, when when the 24th, se- when when Becky says I want to fight for this title right now. I was really excited. I was like, I think this was the second segment of the show. We had just gotten the Cody Seth thing. And then this, and I was like, oh man, this Raw's on fire right now. This is like going to be a really great episode of Raw. And then Asuka's music hits. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) Oh no. We're going to do do this, aren't we? And they faked you out with the, the, the fake interference roll up, whatever that they normally do. But then they did it and then they got to the end result anyway. And I was just like, God, no, nah, given this an ugly for sure, just another like they so often they're like, hey, we could actually do something interesting with the 24 seven title <laughs> and then immediately go nah, now.
0: They get halfway there and then they pull the rug out. Yep.
1: Like God, imagine if Becky's a 24 seven champion and she starts saying this is the most important belt in the company. And 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 it's a it's a. Fake kind of title that her and Asuka can fight over. or Not even that. Or whatever. She's
0: as she's like, as she's propping it up as the as this most important title. You have the R Truth Akira Tazawa, the shenanigans going on, yeah. and she's just like wiping them away and like yeah. kicking, kicking their asses. Yeah. So she is do- so she is dominating some people, and she's mm-hmm. beating both men and women. Ugh, but she's gonna- simultaneously gonna cry thinking about all the possibilities yeah we but, had here. Like, but she, simu- i thought i thought i thought i said something wrong but she uh no. but she's simultaneously holding up this title and making a big deal about it and you can run that storyline for you know two months probably if you want yeah. at, least, at least four to six weeks instead instead we got what we got
1: yeah just just a real missed opportunity instead to just go back to the same formulaic stuff you always do instead of doing something a little bit different. That would have been a lot of fun. The John yep. Cena US title open challenge is still talked about to this day. Mm-hmm. I get, I got a tweet about the other day about like about they need to do something like that again. Like do you can have these big superstars elevate these other titles? I know the 24 seven title doesn't mean anything, but it could mean something for a month. Well, like you could just, you could just take a
0: chance and do something interesting with it. God, It's not even I mean. about that's the thing though. Like, Okay, would it have elevated it? Sure. But it's not even about elevating the title. It's a gimmick. It's a prop yeah. for her to utilize mm-hmm. in a character situation. Yeah. The and U.S. Then, title and and the you know what, of- dude? And at the end of it, you don't even have her lose the title. She throws it in the garbage. Like she she gets a women's championship match and she just says, no, okay, I don't need this anymore. Or something no, like no, that. No, you know what, you know what you do? You have Asuka beat her
1: roll her up one day for it and then she just gives it to our truth or something like that and that makes Maybe. her furious like like y- y- instead you y- uh, becky should not be freaking out about not winning the tour for seven titles she should be freaking out about losing about the losing. title
0: after having had it Ugh. or okay. or just freaking out about oscar costing her a match against dana and again she wanted the title match like they did all yeah. of that correct yes, so she yes. did lose so she did lose <coughs> another title match and her downward spiral continued which are these are all things we hoped would happen. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm actually not, I don't hate the general idea of it. It's just, if they were going to have her lose, she needed to freak the hell out and she mm-hmm. didn't, or you have her win. So they just didn't yeah. sell it. That And that was the biggest issue. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, this next one, we don't need to grade, but it's something we need to talk about. Ricochet versus Gunther was set for the Intercontinental Championship this upcoming week on SmackDown. Ricochet said he was confident that there's no one better than him in the ring and that he would come out of next week still the champion. Ludwig Kaiser said the title is important all over the world and Ricochet's time is up. Gunther then promised he would become the new champion. Like I said, no grade here, but this will be the end of what may well be the worst intercontinental championship reign in history. Um, This is no fault of Ricochet, by the way because he's a good champion, an appropriate champion, and fans cheer for him and like him. They gave him the title and did absolutely nothing with him. He beat Sami Zayn, who's the guy he beat for the title. He just beat him a second time. And then it was, okay, let's start a storyline. They had him beat Jinder Mahal, who is a nothing low carter. They had him beat Shanky, who hadn't even had a singles match (laughs) on the main roster on television in his entire career. They had him beat Shanky, and that's it. That's all they did with him as Intercontinental Champion. Now Gunther is going to take it. And by the way, he should. And he's the appropriate person to beat Ricochet. But Ricochet is going to go right back to the lower card. Chris, I had cautious optimism. Given the way they booked him against Sammy. it made a lot of sense. They gave him the title. They took it off Sammy before WrestleMania. I'm sure Ricochet will be in the Money in the Bank match. I'm sure he will flash in it. But this felt to me like the last chance to ever hope that they would do something with him. They used him completely as a transitional champion and a terrible transitional champion at that.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I had told you not to get your hopes up. I I'm long past the idea that they'll do anything with for ricochet. I was happy. He won the intercontinental title. I thought there's, Hey, there's, there's some fun things you could do with this. He, he, they're not going to make him a big deal, but you can, you can make him look cool. Let him do his thing, you know, get him over a bit. Maybe, maybe it helps up down the road, but they didn't even do that. like, it, 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 not you know you call it the worst you call it the worst title reign of of all time. I don't know about history, but it might be the worst transitional run of all time because the guy didn't even get to do what he does. Like how, how do you not have Ricochet go out if we can put on some banger matches that are really fun to get to get to really get people behind him? How do you have Ricochet and not let him be Ricochet, man? It's like cranny. This is just this has been the whole issue with him on the main roster about one of the most memorable things he's done was when he got to have those two or three matches with John Morrison, they got to recreate Lucha underground and just tear the Thunderdome down. And it was so good the first time that they let him do it again. Like <laughs> it's so yeah. obvious what Ricochet's strengths are and aren't, and they just refuse to lean into that. The dude's very talented in a lot of things. Let him do that. Gunther, Gunther going to win and it'll be, it'll, it'll be a worthy champion. Absolutely. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, he's going to, he's, no, he's going to, ele- r- he
0: will elevate the hell. Out he of the Intercontinental he, he Intercontinental
1: will right. elevate the main roster if they let him beat people that are more than Ricochet and jobbers. And Correct. that's the Correct. problem is that he hasn't beaten anybody of note on the main roster. That's, that's the problem. They to don't to
0: have play. anybody of note on that show. No, they No, they do
1: not. That's no, the problem. That's the issue. That's the issue. That's going to happen with Gunther. Is is this IC title going to be elevated? He's got to beat people in order to elevate it. And I don't know if they can. So that's what we got to wait and see. And that's why uh, you need, that's why you need
0: like the Cesaros, right? Like I know he's not there anymore right Mm -hmm. now and maybe they bring him back, whatever. But that's why you need your Cesaros, your Shinsuke Nakamura's, Corbin and Moss no longer feuding with each other. You know, Moss is a totally legitimate now intercontinental title challenger who can lose to Gunther, right? Like he's totally Seamus, Kofi. Yes. Um That's exactly
1: what Seamus and Kofi should be doing, not
0: all this stuff with each other. Exactly. Yes. They need to uh, Butch is someone who he can fight. And by the way, that match would be an absolute banger. Holland, like these are mm. all people who can be separated out and get these individual matches with Gunther, except they just don't do it. If he goes and just beats Jinder Mahal and Ricochet a second time, you know, in a month from now, then you're we're gonna be looking at it the same way where we're like, okay. He he does elevate the championship because he is who he is, but that's it. You got to have, like, when John Cena and Daniel Bryan had the U.S. Championship and the Intercontinental Championship, they did legitimately elevate the titles because they fought and they, and they defeated yes. people. They got to yes. do the same thing with him. Yes. I think there was a, was it a Cody Rhodes,
1: John Cena match at the time? I feel like I remember no, I that. Remember. But, like, that was the whole point of that was – uh, uh kind of like, again, with the 24-7 title we just mentioned, the point of the gimmick of Cena having the U.S. title was to get him in matches with other with new people and elevate those
0: people. That's what you should be doing. Absolutely. Uh, we have seven segments left. We're going to get through these Not seven segments, seven seven topics to get through. We will do it hopefully lightning round style and get out of here. Bobby Lashley said Omas and MVP are in his rearview mirror. He wondered what was next when Theory complained that Lashley was stealing his time in Spotlight. Theory said he won his title on his own while Lashley needed help from MVP. Theory wanted a selfie. Lashley wanted a match. And then he wanted a United States championship match. Theory said he didn't deserve it despite all the people he's beaten. Lashley then literally booted Theory's ass out of the ring, kicked him in the ass and pushed him out of the ring. So this is one of those segments that it like wasn't well done, but the promos didn't make much sense. Theory confronting a beast like Lashley is really silly for a heel to do, even one who's really confident. But the overall concept of Lashley going after the United States Championship is a great one because it yeah. needs to be reestablished as a major championship, just like we're talking about with the Intercontinental title. But Raw very badly needs this um, to be reestablished because Reigns refuses to show up on Monday <sighs> night. So there's not really a good reason not to re-elevate the U.S. title. So mm-hmm. this is I'm giving this a good for the booking, even if the writing was a little bit poor, And I will admit, I did laugh at the very end when Lashley booted Theory out of the ring. But this is a good example of doing it the right way. Like Theory is also potentially a transitional United States champion if they have Lashley win, which I have to imagine they will. But Theory had a real championship defense against a legitimate challenger in a long-term storyline. Was it a great storyline with Mustafa Ali? No, it was not. But he at least defended it against him and beat him clean on a pay-per-view on a premium live event. The opposite of what happened with Ricochet, so I'm positive here, and I will give this a good.
1: Yeah, I'll give this a good, and I th- I think my prediction of where this goes is Lashley beats Theory for the U.S. title at Money in the Bank, and then Theory goes on to fight Cena at Summerslam, which we kind of mentioned earlier. So I, I that that's my prediction on how it plays out, and that's not a bad spot to be in. So um, I I think it's a very interesting. Physical dynamic between the two. I don't think we've seen theory go up against a big guy like Lashley before. So uh, I'm intrigued. I'm giving
0: it good. All right. Uh, so following this, we had Omas against Cedric Alexander. Omas hit his tree slam and won in 13 seconds. You have Akira Tozawa and Reggie on this roster. If you want to squash someone, squash them, squash a local talent. Cedric had a really nice moment with Lashley at Hell in a Cell. And we talked on the instant analysis. We were like, hey, they could turn this into something like a little mid-card thing, them becoming a tag team, actually reforming the Hurt Business under Lashley's leadership. Uh, When Shelton Benjamin is healthy and comes back, adding someone else to it, there's a million different things they could have done. And instead, they beat him in 13 seconds. Again, 13 seconds. Then the dirty dogs get introduced to the Gene Okerlund area with Kevin Patrick right after the bell. And they start cutting a promo, Dolph Ziggler. MVP was pissed that they interrupted. Ziggler super kicked him from the stage that sent him into Omas's arms. And then all four guys disappeared backstage. So after the horrible shit with Cedric, this is how you bring back the dogs. I'm not saying that they needed some grand entrance, but this is what you do with them. Probably in a spot that's going to lead to Omos beating both of them in a handicap match. I bet you that's what happens. Yeah. Fuck this shit to hell. It was absolutely horrible. I gotta say, Chris, I know you like the guy. No one gives a shit about Omas. That is one big pile of shit.
1: Yeah, no, no, I I like the potential of Omas. I have said basically since the entire AJ Styles tag team that they haven't used him the right way and it's still the case. Um the the I, I told you on uh Sunday, I don't know if it was pre-show or post show, Hell in the Cell show that when MVP said to Cedric Alexander that the hurt business is never coming back, that it was a message from WWE to fans that it is never coming back. And I think that's what we got with here. Disappointing because they gave us that Cedric, Bobby Lashley segment after on hell in a cell where Cedric's like, all right, I'm going to go do my own thing now. I'm going to get back to kind of where I was. And I'm like, okay, like there's going to be something here. Nope. He's not, he's not doing that. And then, The Gene Okerlund area, I really like that they're doing that again. I think it's a cool setup for for a thing, but yeah, weird spot to bring back the Dirty Dogs, all the setup, that whole deal, and I agree 100% that this is setting up for Omos to beat them one on two, which will continue to do nothing for Omos, and round and round we go. So, um, I'm giving this one an ugly.
0: Yeah, it sure feels like it's going to be like Omos over Ziggler, Omos over Rude, Omos over Rude and Ziggler. Yes. Like, somehow. And that's Incredibly disappointing. Um, Ezekiel versus Otis. We got a singles match. Zeke won with a crucifix driver in a couple minutes. Then he called out Kevin Owens for a rematch next week. KO said Zeke doesn't deserve a rematch, but he'll generously give him one only if he finally admits that he's Elias. Zeke said he admits it. KO said he wanted to hear the whole thing right to his face. Zeke said, I admit my name is Elias. KO lost his mind with happiness. And then Zeke said, hey, Kev, I actually took a page out of your own playbook. I lied. I am Ezekiel, Elias' younger brother. Then he hit a jumping knee to end the segment. So, you know, in terms of a grade, this was almost good because of the post-match stuff. Um, but it's so incredibly frustrating that they're going to 50-50 book this for no reason whatsoever. Why can't Owens just have won a feud against a mid carter and moved on? Why is this so difficult? I may have found this more enjoyable if it did not come immediately after the Omas cedric Alexander squash. Why not allow these two guys, Zeke and Otis, to go six, seven minutes instead of two to three? The fact that WWE keeps these storylines going for months and months on end, it actively makes the product worse. I think, am I wrong, that KO has basically been doing this since WrestleMania? Literally, literally the, the night after. after Raw after Mania, yeah. So 60 days, you know, basically this has been going down. That is insane. So because it's lazy and it's unenjoyable at this point, I was fine with it up until Hell in a Cell. That was the perfect end point. The fact that it is continuing, just like the Brawling Brutes New Day, you know, with Drew McIntyre had a definitive ending last Friday on SmackDown. These two stories, the fact that they're continuing is absolutely absurd. So I'm giving it a bad, even though, Yes, the Kevin Owens and Ezekiel interaction was again funny because Kevin Owens is really funny.
1: Yeah, I'm giving it a light good because of that because I did enjoy the segment overall, and I did also call that uh, that this is probably going to be a rematch after Hell in a Cell. We'd probably get a rematch the day after uh, Hell in a Cell. I think I said I think I said Ezekiel wins Hell in a Cell, and then we get a rematch, and Kevin Owens wins on the Raw or something like that. So it's not quite playing out that way, but it kind of is playing out that way next week should be the end of it like there's not there's there's no point to this anymore kevin owens like i i thought the end point was kevin owens basically realizing okay he's never going to admit it but i just kicked your ass and i'm going to call you a lies and you can't do anything about it because i kicked your ass and kevin owens sold this very well to, to to get the rematch and i appreciated ezekiel saying before he before he uh before he revealed the lie, I appreciated him checking, saying, hey, we have the rematch, right? Yes. OK, I lied like that. That was an important step to making the promo and they made it giving this a light good. But yeah, like I'm about done with this now. Like there's nowhere else for it to go. He's clearly not going to reveal it. You know, I, I, I could very well see this continuing on, though. I, I could see a situation where. You you get some video of Elias on the jumbotron that distracts Kevin Owens and Ezekiel wins and on and on we go. I hope not, but ag- again, there's there's nowhere else to really go with this. So I, yeah. I hope it ends next week.
0: Yeah, but if it's going to end with Zeke winning in fifty fifty booking, I mean, if it ends, it ends at some. But I shouldn't. That should not be like. The problem is, if it ends with Ezekiel
1: saying he's not Ezekiel, then what is the character
0: anymore? Like, like my, the enjoyable part of wrestling to me shouldn't be, thank God that feud finally ended. Correct. It should be, it ended well. And it did end yes. well at yes. Hell in a Cell. 50-50 booking it and putting Ezekiel over next week, it will be, well, thank heaven that it ended, but I'm not going to be thrilled with what I got because he's going to get a win for no reason. Right. It, it, it was fine. Basically, the feud
1: ended at Hell in a Cell with them essentially agreeing to disagree and Kevin Owens would move on because at least he kicked his ass over it. That was a good end point. So let's hope we get one next week.
0: All right. Uh, Dominic Mysterio fought Veer Mahan. And by the way, this is all happening in that middle 90 minutes of Raw that I told you I hated. So this is what I was talking about when I said that the show really pissed me off in the middle of the program. Uh, so Mysterio and Veer, Uh Veer cut a promo backstage like a normal human, which was nice. He didn't growl. So maybe the lion, and I I know they still call him the lion of Raw, but the growling I think stopped. And I didn't notice it in the match either. So that's a positive. Uh Mm -hmm. Dom mocked uh Veer, made him chase him around the ring. Veer soon caught him with a standing splash and later threw Dom into Ray outside. Dom tripped Veer into the middle turnbuckle, dodged him into the post, and hit a frog splash for a one count. But Veer caught Dom with the million-dollar arm and he was setting up for the cervical clutch when Ray drop kicked him for a disqualification in nine minutes and 30 seconds, and then he hit the 619 outside the ring with Veer not even falling down. The crowd popped for the frog splash, but this match straight up sucked. The wrestling was awful. It felt repetitive, and I get Ray protecting his son, but it's not like Veer was illegally attacking him or using a weapon after the bell or anything like that. Ray interfered in normal competition for no reason whatsoever. So the logic doesn't even make sense. Dom doesn't need protecting there. He has to be able to wrestle. So there wasn't even a good booking reason to do it. I just thought this was bad in every conceivable way. I'm giving it a bad, but I at least
1: understood the story they were going for. I agree. I, I really liked that Veer promo. Like, like, oh, he, gets, he can, can talk. He's not growling. He sounds like a normal person. He's very well-spoken. Like you said, like... This 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 veer in a suit that he portrays on social media, could be a really interesting character that they're just not doing. So hopefully they are transitioning away from him being a, a face, a, a personality monster and being an actual person. I, I don't know the idea and commentary sold it well that Ray Mysterio was just tired of Dominic seeing Dominic get his ass kicked and, and possibly get hurt that he just had had enough and he had to, he had to go in there and do it. You don't see that very often from faces. So I appreciate the story. But overall, there wasn't much else there. This has kind of been going on for a while. I guess we'll do Ray Veer now. I'm giving it a a, a light bad, but I at least
0: understood what they were going for. Uh, Max Dupree uh, interrupted Pierce to say he scoured the roster and found his first client. Pierce asked for the name, but Dupree in his face said that was a little bit invasive, which I popped so hard for that, like (laughs) doing the close talking and then saying Pierce was being invasive. So good. Uh, He promised it would be revealed next week on SmackDown. Dragging this out, if they are going to unveil like Mace as that client, it's going to be a disappointment for the crowd. And in 2022, all of their dark match stuff has been leaked for months already. But I will admit that he's making me laugh. And the close talking stuff is working in a major way. There's another um, element to this. I'll, I just want to call this good. This is funny. The, him and Pierce are really good
1: back and forth. And like, obviously, you don't want this to continue on forever. You want Max Dupree to go on to do other things. But I would love to just continue some of these segments because the, the back and forth between Pierce and, and Max Dupree, they got a good chemistry going there. I, 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 I like it. I've I've been on board with this
0: so far. So it's, it's it's been good so far. All right. Uh, there was a Lacey Evans vignette on SmackDown showing the one promo segment she got on Raw. She is officially back on the SmackDown roster after missing the announced Memorial Day in-ring return that was supposed to happen last Monday. We noted how it truly made zero sense for them to move her to Raw in the first place. And now she's back with all of the momentum of those video packages completely gone. I mean, I never liked them at all. You did, others did to some degree. But now they've wasted that momentum. You've basically, we've forgotten about her to some degree. I know they aired the promo, but now she's going to come back and I guess have her first match. This is bad, not her fault, creative's fault, bookings fault, game planning, all of that really freaking bad.
1: Yes, it's bad and a hundred percent not her fault at all. Like, how do you put all this work into these promos for like four or five weeks and then not have the plan and then just like back out of the plan that you invested all this time? And this is what these are the kinds of things that make it very hard to stick with characters in WWE because you can see in real time them either pull the rug out or completely change something, and you can never fully Feel like they're going to pay something off for you. Like I liked those promos. I think they did too many of them, but I like those promos and style and telling us her real life story and all the shit she said to go through. Like it was really good, but it's been a few weeks since we've seen them now. And they I, I don't say they completely wasted them, but they really, really took a lot of momentum out of her sales. You know, she got that entrance where we thought she was turning heel because she she the the comment <laughs> the the announcer said the she announcer, wants yeah. you all to to stand for her and despite that being a little bit weird the crowd cheered for her the crowd was really into her she jumped in the crowd War. and like uh, yeah. like they had something there and then they switched it to raw don't do raw now she's back like god just freaking I feel so bad for her to have to go through this ring around when they had something and then they just. Didn't do it like follow through on these plans, man. Like it's, it's really hurting the, the, the wrestlers when you do stuff like this. It's just so
0: it's so odd to be so discombobulated that you can't just figure out, hey, you know what? Um, we want to like and I don't know what happened. Like we don't know the specifics of what happened. My thought was, since they put the title on Rousey, they wanted her to be on Raw because there was a face champion and there were more women on Raw so she could fight more people uh, before she had to worry about Bianca Belair or maybe Rhea Ripley would win the title and she could win it off Ripley. There's a million different things that they could have done. But you look at the whole thing and you're like, well, even if they just wanted to delay it for a reason, um, I don't know why that reason would be maybe because that segment got so fucked up that we were talking about. Maybe they said, hey, we want to delay it. Then just do more vignettes. Have her come out and cut promos in front of the live crowd. Um, mm-hmm. Do other things before you kind of start a storyline with her. But at this point, she's coming back. We think on Friday, I mean, that's the promotion, right? That she's going to be there Friday. I guess they're going to put her in the Money in the Bank match. I assume that's what the move is. But man, this is just really bad. And then lastly, we had Umberto against Jinder Mahal. Shanky was dancing in gorilla position and Jinder warned him to be more serious so he only danced when Ginder's back was turned. Mahal got a big kick on Umberto and then got distracted by Shanky barely dancing outside. Umberto rolled him up, but the referee was distracted by Shanky, so Ginder rolled him up for the win in three minutes. Jinder then walked away from Shanky dancing after the bell, so he did it for the ring announcer, who eventually got up and danced with him. There was a little pop from the crowd, I will say. It's comedy. I know some of you may enjoy it, and that's your right, but to me, This is just truly awful and a waste of television time. It's ugly.
1: Yeah, it's a waste of time. They at least kind of advanced it in the idea that the dancing actually won gender a match was kind of creative, but this is like the lowest of low card. Like this is just barely a step up of it's their 24 seven seven stuff. It's the same. Yeah, like is this I mean, is this what you think of Shanky? Like just he's going to dance. I don't know. Like, again, I like gender. I think there's a lot of things they can do with gender but they're clearly not. I don't know. I I give this I give this a, a, a bad because there was one or two things I actually liked, but I don't care.
0: If the guy's good enough to be your WWE champion, even though you were forcing it for India and you had an idea of, of trying to do something, if he's good enough to be your WWE champion, he's good enough to be a mid-card challenger or to establish a real tag team with Shanky and try to do something in that division, even if they are a low-card tag team that gets beat by a lot of people, at least you have bodies. Instead, they're doing this bullshit. And by the way, by doing it, Umberto and Angel, they're actually insanely talented in the ring. Mm -hmm. And they're being kind of treated the same way as Lucha House Party was treated, Mm -hmm. in that at any given time, if you need a really good match, you put them in, you give them a little push, and fans are going to react to it. But most of the time, they're going to sit in the low-card either being jobbers or winning, you know, non-essential matches. It's very it, frustrating it, on both. Sides.
1: It brings everybody down. I- imagine if Ricochet and Jinder had had an actual feud of maybe like two or three matches that Ricochet got to look great. in, And he beat a former world champion like two or three times before losing, before going up against Gunther. Like imagine how much just better everybody would look and feel and how much that would help the rest of the card on SmackDown. But,
0: I, I did forget, by the way, that Ricochet beat Umberto and Angel in a triple threat intercontinental title match on the yes. SmackDown before WrestleMania. So that after having, after, after having lost to both of them. I, I was going to say that. Um, so he did have that match, which was great. It was actually very entertaining. But it came after he lost to both of them individually in succession yes. the week before to shoehorn that match into the SmackDown. So again, when talking about Ricochet and his title reign, that's how atrocious it was. It really was one of the worst intercontinental title reigns of all time. Uh, Chris, that may be true, but I think this was one of the best editions of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast of all time. I enjoyed it. I appreciate you being with us once again to break down everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw in the world of WWE. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel for another WWE episode this coming Thursday, two days from when this podcast gets published. We have probably a lot to talk about in the world of AEW and NXT. AEW coming off the announcement that they will be crowning a interim world champion with a lot of stuff set to happen this Wednesday on Dynamite. And NXT uh, coming off of what was a very highly regarded edition of In Your House as a premium live event. Very entertaining show. A lot of storylines seem to end there, unlike with the main roster apparently coming out of um, hell in a cell, although I will say most of them did end, which is nice. Uh, but still, uh, with in your house, it really did seem like NXT is going into its like next phase of storylines, which is exciting, and we are going to find that all out Tuesday night. So again, all of that will be covered on Thursday's show. I appreciate you all listening to this episode. As we get out of here, one more reminder that you getting over Wrestling Podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave that five-star rating on Apple, also leave a review, let people know how much you love the show, and please do not forget to follow us on Twitter, at Getting GettingOverCast. With all of that in the books, Silver King is now going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.